Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another morning service at El Paso Bible Church. Um, if you happen to grab a bulletin, I'm just going to mention a couple of announcements that we have um, for this month and or actually whatever is left of this month and uh, next month. So the first thing you'll see on there is the trunk or treat. Uh, we're having that this Tuesday and uh, we'll start mas o menos at 6 p.m. El Paso time. Uh, 6 p.m. and we'll go, you know, till we run out of candy or till you guys have to go. Um, so if you haven't signed up for that, there's still some spots open. I, I think we have like 17 cars signed up so far. And uh, so looking forward to that. Also, not on your bulletin, but uh, you will find this Thanksgiving luncheon, uh, Thanksgiving lunch sign-up sheet in the lobby. And uh, that's happening uh, Sunday, November the 12th. And, uh, you, you know, if you want to bring turkey or ham or bread, am I making you hungry yet? Mashed potato. <laughs> um, there are spots for that. So also happening that Sunday is uh, Pastor Josh had put this out on Facebook and, and the app. Uh, he's going to have some, uh, we're going to have some room open for um, just praise reports. Or if you want to share something that God is doing in your life, uh, you can do so that day. And uh, so that is it for announcements, I believe. Um, there is in the kitchen, in this kitchen over here, there is a uh, donation drop-off section. So in case you're wondering where that went, uh, we moved it from the lobby to uh, the kitchen. And uh, diapers, uh, whatever you want to bring, this is for the Westside Pregnancy Center. They could always use help in, with donations. Uh, today I am reading... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And that is our scripture reading this morning. Uh, shall we have a moment of prayer? And then uh, Seth is going to lead us in, in worship today. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this day and this opportunity to come together as your body, as the church, and worship you and be encouraged by the teaching of your word. And Lord, we want to glorify your name. We want to make you famous by the songs that we sing. And we also want to be taught and instructed in your word. And we ask that this would be accomplished this morning. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us for a time of worship? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all its stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Yeah. 
Pay the price for all my guilty Who would care that much about me Let me tell you about my Jesus
Mercy is a song singing to my heart, telling me it's okay, come just as you are. I never heard a melody like the one that's singing over me, and I just want to sing along. Cause mercy is a song, and freedom is a choir, swaying back and forth. In the shadow of a stained glass Sunday morning Shouting hallelujah Yesterday is gone Freedom is a choir Mercy is a song 
in the sky One day we'll be singing with those angels up on high And that old familiar melody Like we'd known it all along Heaven is a mansion Mercy is a song Well, good morning. morning. Hope you all are doing well today. It was just cool enough to feel like fall today, and then they tell us it's going to be freezing cold tonight, so be careful out there. Uh, We haven't turned our heater on yet, and we're not going to, I think, but, uh, you know, prepare thyself, as they say. I was looking back at my memories of three years ago, and apparently it was snowing all day a couple days ago, three years ago, and I still got a bee call in the snow. Now, I'm up for a lot of things, guys, but I said no to that one. I don't do bee calls in the snow. Um, But... Good weather, nice for a break, right? So good. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're enjoying it. A couple things that we need to remember. Um, some of you have told me that you would definitely like to give testimony on the 12th. 
What I need you to do, because we're, we're a little light-staffed right now, is put that in writing. Uh, send it to me, an email or a text or something, so that I can get it on the list. Um, I think I know everybody. And then there were some of you that said, maybe you want to. Uh, don't tell me that. Make up your mind and then tell me. Okay? So you don't have to tell me you don't want to do it. But if you decide you do want to do it, let's do that uh, this week. Uh, the other thing that's coming up on November 12th, um, and I volunteered to do this announcement because my wife wanted me to give it to somebody else. And I said, no, I'll just do it. But those Christmas boxes, the Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child, those are also due on the 12th. So if you have some of those outstanding, go ahead and fill them up and bring them back, uh, and we'll get those where they need to go, okay? So those are the two things that we want to want to remember. Uh, we still need to pray um, about our world situation, don't we? Uh, people look at me like I'm a nut when I say most modern warfare is at least partially an expression of anti-Semitism. Any doubts about what's going on right now? <laughs> Anti-Israel sem- sentiment, certainly. Um, and I'm going to warn you, okay, uh, because I pray a little differently about this than you've probably heard people pray about it, okay? So if you're shocked... Let somebody know that you fell on the floor. We'll pick you up, okay? I, just, I, just, I'm, I believe that I'm praying biblically about this, and I won't accept input otherwise. I just want you to know that right now, okay? So let's pray together. Father, we do thank you uh, for your grace to us. We thank you for the life that we have in your Son. We thank you for the privilege that it is uh, to be here to worship, to entreat you as sons, uh, to come and bring our requests before you, And Father, as we we study even the topic of prayer in Scripture, we see that we are essentially commanded to be audacious in what we request of you, uh, to continually push the limit, really, of acceptability in our own minds, to see how deep your care, your concern, your kindness, your grace, and your faithfulness go. Uh, And this morning, Father, we we thank you again for the privilege of being here in safety. We thank you for the privilege of having um, this opportunity to worship uh, together freely without threat of violence. Um, And Father, we thank you for that, but we do remember your people, Israel. Father, we pray for two things. We pray for sufficient violence to be righteously executed in their self-defense. We pray for sufficient fortitude to bring about the end of that violence. Father, we know that the biblical precedent does not permit any other retaliation or negotiation to bring that about. And Father, we we pray for the fortitude and the supply to bring that about, to destroy their enemy. Father, we know that sin has victims, and we do not ignore that there may be victims here um, that have nothing to do with it, and that has been true throughout fallen human history. We acknowledge that, and we ask that you do justly and graciously as the only way that you will act, and we know that. Father, we do pray for those things without apology, knowing that those who bless your people are blessed by you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
Children, you guys can go to Children's Church. I thought it was important that you pray that with us. That was, in other words, I didn't forget this time. I forget all the other times, but I didn't forget this time. All right. Anybody need to take a break? All right. We're going to be in 2 Peter. A right reminder. Growing in grace. Right, that's what the, the focus of of 2 Peter is, right? 1 Peter, a little bit different. Choice aliens, how are we supposed to, to live in the world in which we have a purpose, but nobody's helping us achieve it nationally, geopolitically, anything. You know, even, even fairly conservative Americans think that you can't get anything done unless tax dollars are poured into your event, right? 1 Peter doesn't mention tax dollars, does it? Neither does 2 Peter. We're asked to accomplish the purpose in different manners, in a different manner than those things. In 2 Peter, it's written right to the, those of like faith as the apostles, as Peter says, me, my associates, and I'm writing to everyone who shares this same character, caliber, depth, volume, whatever you want to say, all of it together of like kind of faith. Remember that that's that's not the ability to trust something. That's, that is a, a matter of being human. Right? That, that's a point on which I, I will brook no disagreement, as they say. You have the ability to trust things. Unbelievers have the ability to trust things because God tells them to trust. Right? God tells them to believe and gives them a truth to believe and unbelievers believe all sorts of things. The issue is not how they believe. The issue is in whom they believe, always, throughout Scripture, period. But when Peter says of a like faith, he's saying we have the same information. We have the same information about our identity, who we are, and what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to do it. We have all of that together, and nothing different was given to the apostles. There's not a, a mystery caliber or class of believers in the history of the church. There are appointed functions, and God gives the ability to fulfill those functions to each person that needs it. When he asks you to do something, he gives you the resources to do it, in other words. That's how that works. So in that vein, right, Peter has told us there, there's at least three things so far that we need to acknowledge and embrace. The first one was that God has given us, in Jesus Christ, everything that we need for life and godliness. That's the whole enchilada, life and godliness. The things you do on a daily basis, the graciousness that you are expected to demonstrate towards other humans, all of that, the whole package. He has given it to you. He reminds us of that and says that, that is, those are resources that you possess. Those are resources of, that it is reasonable to expect you to utilize. Right? So we don't, we don't, people have different theories, right, about their kids and about money, right? When I was a kid, most of the time didn't really have any. And that was kind of a problem. Right? As a kid, you don't really learn to budget anything, manage anything. Even if it's just five bucks a week, how long do I need to save my five bucks a week? Didn't really have that choice. But other people, right, 
had widely variant levels of allowance. I didn't know what allowance was. I knew what work was. I didn't know what allowance was. And some people give a small allowance, and they can just do whatever the heck they want with it. Other people got a large allowance, and they're supposed to basically provide everything for themselves. You want that jacket? You want that sweater? You want those shoes? You want to go out Friday night? Stretch it. I think that kind of stopped because we got a lot of grown-ups in Congress that don't, uh, haven't figured that one out yet, right? A lot of people haven't figured that one out. But it's reasonable, right, if you take the second tack to have expectations of the child to use the money the way that you provided it for them. You can get two pairs of shoes if you want, three pairs of shoes if you want, you can get one really nice pair, whatever. So it's reasonable when God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness that he would then say, in your faith, in your identity, because I've given this to you as my child, this is the manner in which I expect you to supply it. And that was the list. That was the list, right? In your faith, supply excellence. And we said that you're supposed to do the best that you know how to do with what you have, with the best knowledge that you have right now. And use that to grow in your knowledge and down the line, down the list, ending in brotherly kindness and love. Which tells me that most of the time, the local church in the world gets about a third of the way through the list. A lot of times we're lacking in the brotherly kindness and agape departments, huh? We haven't supplied everything in the list as we're supposed to. We, we, all of us, we haven't done it. Supply what is need, according to the outline. And then we need to understand that there's a, a reason because God doesn't want us to stumble. He says, if you do these things and you supply the things in the order that I've given to you, then you will not stumble. And there's a reward. And the reward is the abundant entrance into the kingdom in which at very minimum, I think, at the barest minimum, we will be impressed fully with the worthiness of what God has asked us to do. That's for the introverts, right, among us. A lot of guys I hang out with talk about this as a parade. Introverts, you want a parade anywhere? No. No parade. An intense internal feeling will suffice for us. Gratification, sense of worthiness. It's all we want. And God knows that. Keep us from stumbling and provide us with a reward. And verse 12 adds a synthesis to it, adds a construction to it, because there we have another incidence of that word, therefore. Therefore, so we have an additional, you could say application of those truths, but an additional extension of synthesis. Supposed to put it together this way. He says, therefore... I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Will always be ready to remind you of these things. Because Peter told them, this is how you're certain of your vocation. This is how you're certain of your calling and of what, you were, what was selected for you and what you were selected to do. Remember the, the, the two truths, your calling and choosing, that goes together. It's about your vocation, about your purpose in life. And that is what...
Peter and God wants you to be certain of in this life. Take some, take some work on your part. Sometimes people don't believe me when I say that. The number one thing that people ask pastors is, what should I be doing? <laughs> I don't even know what my spiritual gifts are. What should, how should I be serving? What should I be doing? That's, that's top three. Top three. The main answer as your pastor, and I say this, and I've acknowledged you that all of y'all, for the most part, are serving somehow. The main answer is something. Can we start with something? That's the nature of the list. In your excellence, do something so you have an opportunity to fail at it so you can know that you should do something else. That's, I mean, that's, that's very pragmatic, yes? Do something, and most people get stuck there. I don't want to do something I fail at. Okay, don't. I'm not your boss, but you asked. So that's the information. Peter wants him, them to be certain because he is certain. He's gone through the process. He's leading. He's teaching. He knows what's going on. And he, in his vocation as an apostle, but also as a bondservant, a slave of Christ, a servant of Christ, he knows his vocation. And his vocation is this, to always be ready to remind you of those things that came before. He's certain of that because he's perpetually ready to do it. Perpetually. That's his vocation, and he was certain of it. But I want you to notice what it consists of. I will always be ready. In other words, he's full to the brim, right? You, you bump him and it spills out, right? That's how full he is. He's always ready. He's ready to go. I'll always be ready to remind you of these things. Go back to, all the way back to verse 1. I'll be ready to remind you of those things, even though you already know them. Even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. He's always ready to remind them about things they've already learned about things they already knew. You know that, that happens, right? I was kind of a feral kid. Ran around all over. We learned certain things that were really cool about little plants and snakes, animals and seeds. We learned what seeds we could do to do, use to make minor injuries on each other and laugh at them. You know what I mean? Like we learned... A lot about nature. You know what happened when I started having kids? When my wife and I started having kids? I forgot all that. Almost. Like, it barely comes back as a little inkling every once in a while. I think I remember. I spent years learning that stuff, playing with that stuff, doing those things with my brothers. You know how important it is to be able to know how to safely do injury to your brother? Not that important. It's really not. You, you should stop doing that at some point in your life, right? The practical jokes probably need to calm down a little. But the dynamic is still true. You can have learned things years ago, even use those things to have established your trajectory of maturity in Christ and still need to be reminded of them. 
This was the same generation. Peter walked on this earth in the earthly ministry with Jesus Christ in his own lifetime. He was ministering to people who would have done the same. Had already learned it. Had already been established. Had already lived it, in other words. Firmly planted and needed to be reminded. He's alluded to this already. He said, somebody who doesn't do these things, isn't growing and increasing in them, he's useless because he's forgotten his identity. He's forgotten who he was. He forgot who he is in Christ. And so he's certain of this vocation, that the people to whom he is writing that have received the like apostolic faith, the same set of material, the same volume of material, the same caliber of material that he's received, need to be reminded. Now, how would he know that? Because I'm sure he needed to be reminded. Didn't he? In his own discipleship, walking with Christ, who needed the most reminders of what Jesus was doing out of the 12? Peter. He would forget from one second to another what Jesus had just told him. I'm going to go up. They're going to deliver me up. I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, and it's going to be yucky. It's gonna, we're going to die. There's danger there. It's violent. No, you're not, Peter. <laughs> Start back over. This is what I'm here for, Peter, and this is how it's going to go down. Uh-uh. And then when they get to Jerusalem, he doesn't forget he has an oh crap moment. Oh no. He remembers now, but he still can't do anything with it. He knows the importance of being reminded, but also being courageous, being encouraged in the things that he knew. He knows that. You need to be reminded. They need to be reminded of the things that we have learned, that they have everything that they need for life and godliness. They have everything that they need, that, and that it is right and reasonable and available to them that they would supply those things in a godly biblical order to the decisions and the actions they take in their lives. That's reasonable because they've all been supplied. You can't claim incompetence, in other words. Yes? That is one of my major character flaws. I'll be honest with you. It is like pulling teeth getting me to admit I'm incompetent at something. It is. But you can't do that with this. Because they didn't say get off your butt and produce it. He said it's been given to you. So now you can supply it. It's reasonable. Even if you are incompetent, right? I tell my sons this sometimes, guys, listen, you're all legally incompetent. Not all of them are legally incompetent anymore. You know what that means? It means regardless of your actual competence level, you're incompetent legally. You can't sign any contract. You can't sign your life away. You can't do this. And I tell them, my goal, children, is to make sure that your legal incompetence ends after your actual competence begins. I want, before you're responsible for all that garbage you could do to yourself, I want to make sure that you're actually competent 
before the net is pulled out from under you. But competence isn't the issue, because he's given it to us, all of it. We took the lump sum, right? We need to supply it so that we can be certain about our vocation, so we can be confident. We can be confident. People are highly critical of confident individuals these days, aren't they? If you say something unequivocally, you'll find somebody that is offended by it. Yes? Y'all need to start stepping out a little more and just tell people what is true sometimes. It doesn't have to be Bible truth. It doesn't have to be Bible truth. It could be anything. Just tell them. Just see what they argue about. It's fun for a while until you realize they can vote. God wants you to be confident about what you're doing in life. And he's told you it's a worthwhile pursuit and it at least avoids the painful misstep of stumbling. Isn't that enough? That, that should be enough. That should be enough. But he's gracious and he offers a reward too in the future. Peter is certain of his job even though, even though I'm sure there are some in his audience that would roll their eyes at him. I already know that, Peter. Give me something I can use. I promise I'm not living vicariously through Peter right now. But I've heard something similar. (laughs) Give me something I can use. We already know that stuff. We've been living those truths forever. Peter understood his audience. They had a like faith as the apostles. They knew all this stuff. They were firmly planted in it. They were actually in pretty good shape. Really. Pretty good shape? Y'all are in pretty good shape. I'm not talking about that you go to the gym enough, because I don't go to the gym enough. I'm talking about in the terms of this. You know a lot. You know a lot. You've known a lot. You have a like faith as Peter, the apostles, and Peter's direct audience. And Peter's audience might have wanted something, they might have wanted something snappy, you know, something sexy. We want the one thing that's going to fix all the problems that doing all these things seems to have caused for me in my life. Right? But we covered that in 1 Peter. If you do all the right things, the normal, natural, God-ordained consequence is frequently what? <laughs> Suffering. That's something to be celebrated, guys. We got it right. Hmm, no one smiles after that. You didn't smile the first time I said that. You didn't smile at the tenth time I said it in First Peter, and you ain't smiling now. I'll give you that. You're consistent. Consistency is good. But we won't grow until we realize that that's, that's kind of the way the circuit works. That is working. He didn't advance. He didn't give them the magic key. He didn't give them the, the final formula. 
anything different than what they already had, he reminded them. He reminded them that they had already been given all of it, everything they needed. Because that's what they needed, not necessarily what they wanted. You know the difference? It's funny to me because, you know, there, there are, I don't know how many, thousands every year of pastors that just call it quits. Thousands of them. Been going on for a number of years now. We're going to be in a bind, frankly. Thousands of them. You know what a huge percentage of them go and do then? You know what they're told to do when they go to, there are whole ministries that are career counselors for people that used to be pastors. You know what they all go do, mostly? Go sell stuff. Go sell stuff. Now, I'm not a pessimist, guys. But I kind of wonder if they were trying to sell something before and that's why they got frustrated. If they just naturally kind of flop into selling widgets, whatever the widgets are, because in sales, it's less important, I think, sometimes. You know, industries are different. But it's less important to distinguish between what people want and what they need. Actually, sometimes you need to kind of convince them that what they want is what they need in order to make the sale, right? Let me tell you something. I don't care what you want. I'm a terrible salesperson. Terrible. I've tried it. I'm not going. <laughs> if y'all kick me out of here, that's fine, but I ain't going into sales because I can't sell anything. I couldn't sell water to a dehydrated dying man because he would suspect me of something. I don't know. But I take comfort in Peter's example, knowing that the audience already knew what he had told them. They already had been firmly established and it had been living according to those principles and yet he reminded them and always was ready to do it again. That's the biblical precedent for communication. Remind you of these things. I need that. Because y'all, church, the congregations aren't the only ones that do that. I, I wake up Jacob and I call it the secret sauce. Do we just not have the secret sauce? Do we just not? Yeah, here's the crazy thing. I noted this one time. You go into a fast food restaurant and they say, this comes with secret sauce. You know what it is? Thousand Island dressing. Sometimes it has pickles in it and sometimes it doesn't. And that's the only difference. It's no secret. And that's what we find out because he and I watch videos and we, we see what is everybody else doing or whatever. And we joke about it. Oh, they must have the secret sauce. You know when we say that? They look exactly the same as the hundred other videos we just watched. There is no secret sauce. There's reminding you of what Christ has supplied to you and expects you to supply to your life. That's it. But I want the secret sauce. I want the secret formula 
to my best life now. Someone noted this last week. If this is your best life now, you're going to hell. There should be an amen here somewhere. This isn't designed to be your best life now, folks. That's not the gospel. They're in pretty good shape, but this is what they needed still. And we need to stop being irritated when the answers aren't new. Josh, you need to stop being irritated when the answers aren't new. You guys need to stop being irritated when the answers aren't new. How does it work? Well, you're reminded of these things. We could go down the list, right? We need to act to the best of our knowledge so that when then we grow in our knowledge, sometimes, often by failure, so that we can grow in our self-control so that we don't let the, the failure depress us, put us in cryostasis so that we never do anything again, but we persevere as we grow in our objective knowledge of what, we are, what we're supposed to be doing, what we're not supposed to be doing, so we can be certain and be confident in our life, so that we can grow in godliness, primary, primary right, in the, in the definition of godliness is to reflect God's character to others, and we made sure to point out that that is primarily grace isn't it? Because people presume all sorts of stupid stuff about godliness because they ignore that to reflect God's character primarily is to be gracious to people. In every human relationship that you have, including with your pastor and your pastor with to you. Do I need to go over how graciousness is not niceness? Do I need to be reminded of that even though you know it and you've been firmly established in it? No? Yes? I got, I got nothing here. There's no response. I don't need to do that. It ain't niceness. Being nice would be telling a man he can have babies if that's what he wants to hear. I catch you doing that, I'll rip you a new one. Verbally. Don't be doing that. What is he saying? What do I need to do? Well, the reason he reminds them is because he's reminding them, listen, this is the process. And it's counterintuitive. It's the process, and you need to trust the process, because it isn't Pastor Josh's process. It's not El Paso Bible Church's process. It's not Billy Graham's crusade's process. It's not anybody's process. This is God's process that he has revealed in Jesus Christ and provided everything you need to do, so you need to trust it. I need to trust it. And when I fail, here's the hard part. When I fail, in my mind anyway, <laughs> my assessment of failure is not reliable. When I fail, I still need to trust the process. I don't need to seek out novelty. Right? Novelty belongs in an art museum, not in the church. Anybody can make art. Right? Everybody can't be productive necessarily. If you can make art by taping a banana to a wall, 
Anybody can make art. But you need to follow the process in order to be useful and productive as a believer. Is that okay? I mean, like, I'm asking because it would be nice if you assented. If you don't, you're going to be useless. And I love you enough to tell you that that's a real risk. And it's happened before. And will happen again. Trust the process. It's supposed to build confidence in the long run. So I consider it right. As long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Now the word stir up, a get actually kind of indicates a duty, right? One of my, one of my favorite Russell Crowe movies, Master and Commander, he wants to describe to his friend duty because his friend accuses him of, of, of insanity, the doctor. Have you all watched this movie? If you haven't watched the movie, okay, so we talked about this in Sunday school. You're going to be deficient in illustrations. If you don't watch Fiddler on the Roof, you don't watch Master and Commander, Russell Crowe, maybe Denzel Washington we could throw in there, but definitely Fiddler on the Roof. You're going to be lost all the time. It's going to happen. But he's trying to explain why he looks insane to his best friend in the whole world. And he says to him, it is duty, sir, and whatever grist the mill requires, I will grind it. I get am I. It is right according to my duty that is required of me. It is right to do this. It's a leadership decision, and it is right according to his position and his vocation, of which he is certain because he's, he's, as long as I'm alive, my earthly dwelling, Paul uses this illustration also, I'm about to lay aside my earthly dwelling. That means going to be with Jesus, folks. It means going to be with Jesus. And we're all right there, by the way. We forget You're a very simple set of events, no matter how old you are, no matter how healthy you are, (laughs) from going to be with Jesus. It's not an absolutely unique perspective that I have, but I've been awfully close, more times than I can count. He says, it's my duty, it is right, for the rest of my days, as long as I draw breath, to agitate you. To stir you up is the nice way. They don't even put agitators in washing machines anymore. You know why? Have you seen what they put in a washing machine called an agitator now? Yeah, it's like like little ridges in the bottom of the thing. And they say the technology has gotten better. We used to have agitators washing machines. I went out and paid a lot of money for the last washing machine I hoped to buy in my entire life from Speed Queen. The thing is built like my GMC 3500. The transmission is almost that size. And it's got an agitator in the middle and I was like, praise the Lord. But you know why they took the agitator out? Because it beat the clothes up. I don't care. I want my clothes agitated because that's the way you get the crap out of them. And the stuff that I do for fun on the weekends needs an agitator in the washing machine. 
Before there were agitators, you know how they agitated the clothes? They slapped them on rocks to beat the dirt out of them. And then in between, they had a ringer washer. Ooh, man, just feels right. Y'all think I'm weird. I'm committed to clean clothing, folks. <laughs> it doesn't have to look nice, but it needs to be clean. You know what? I'm committed to agitate you, too. I am. As long as I draw breath. As long as Peter drew breath, this was his role. Because you don't get the dirt out without agitation. You could also use it to say, right, waking somebody up. Most of my kids are morning people. My last one isn't. We got to agitate that boy. He never smiles. This is spiritual ministry, a sacrifice on my part to get him out of bed before 10 in the morning. That's when he'd sleep naturally. I love my son. Y'all, y'all, I'm not beating up on him here. He's a hard worker at 10 in the morning. Hard worker. He knows how to do all sorts of things. He saved my bacon on more than one occasion by just observing things that I didn't see. He's a stalwart young man of high character. But you have to agitate him to get him out of bed in the morning. Is that enough to balance that out, guys? Okay. I have no criticism of the man except there's four hours worth of work being done before you get out of bed unless I get you up. That's a common enough problem. That was the ministry. Every day that he drew breath, agitated. He was sure in certain ministry he did not succumb to demands for novelty, and I'm sure he heard them. I'm sure that he wanted somebody, he wanted, somebody wanted him to give them the recipe for that Thousand Island dressing, the secret sauce. He did not succumb to that. He recommitted to godly agitation. And, uh, you know, you do this long enough, you hear criticism of yourself and other people, you know, no, including me, but not just me, that, that their pastor isn't leading because he does this. I don't know what they expect. I've told people, if you have 100 people in a room, you have 120 opinions of what should be the role of a pastor. Um, there's a reason we don't have a suggestion box at El Paso Bible Church because I'm not confused as to what a pastor is supposed to be doing. Peter wasn't confused as to what he was supposed to be doing. And when somebody gets in my face and asks me for a recipe for secret sauce or asks me to start putting secret sauce on something, so to speak, I double down, which is what Peter did. It wasn't because he had all the time in the world. As long as I'm alive, it's right, according to my duty, to stir you up by way of reminder. Verse 14, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Now, laying aside of your earthly, earthly dwelling being imminent is different than Pastor Josh. You've heard me say this, right? I have about half of the people who have died in my family in this century have not made it to Social Security age. 
And so I will tell you at that point, I do not know how many years I have left to do anything, much less this. That's not pessimism, that's statistics. How are those different? I don't know, I think most statisticians are pessimists also, but that doesn't mean they're identical. This is different, isn't it? Because I don't know. The other half lived to be 80-something. I don't know. But Jesus told him it could come at any time, Peter. That's what imminent means, and you ought to know that because that's an important theological term. <laughs> right? Imminency, the doctrine of the imminency of the rapture is that there, it is a signless event. As a rabbit trail, everybody's trying to turn all this garbage going on in Israel right now into a sign for a signless event. The rapture is a signless event. Wars, rumors of wars, Jesus explicitly excludes. You know when the rapture, in my opinion, is going to happen? When the economy is great, when the government is conservative, when y'all are all happy with most of everything that's going on in the world or you're ignorantly blissful about most of it and you're tootling along in your life because that's when you're not going to expect it. <laughs> that's my opinion. That one I might brook disagreement on. See how gracious I am. All right. That's my opinion. When the world looks like it's circling the bowl, that's when everybody's expecting it. And Jesus says that's not when to expect it. Yeah? Read the Bible, folks. It's in the Gospels. Matthew 23 to 25. In there, He tells us exactly what the world's going to look like and what is not the end. But he's about ready. It's imminent that he personally is going to go be with Jesus. He did not have much time left in the world. <laughs> Coming quickly, this could be the very last words that he speaks to his audience. A dying declaration is what my lawyer friends would call this, right? A particularly valid testimony that has to be admissible in court. As a dying declaration, this may be for Peter that, for this audience. And this is what he does. He reminds them of the things that Jesus has given, the things that Jesus expects, and the very real objective results of, of obedience and faithfulness. You will not stumble, and the entrance to the kingdom will be abundant. This could be his last words to these people, and he gives them this information. It could be shocking, right? Nobody wants to know. Nobody wants to know. Right? You have to be a particularly kind of morbid to want to know the moment and the circumstances that you're going to go to be with Jesus. Yeah? I mean, we all know hypothetically, imminently, that we could be right this moment if the Lord blesses us that we could be with him in the air. But I'm talking about dying. The reality is that I will probably die Takanos quickly. Because I find myself in very strange situations. Euphemistically, we could call them adventurous situations. 
I have received no training for these. YouTube is all right. Right? It could be like that. You don't want to know. You know why you don't want to know? Why I think people don't want to know? Why godly people don't want to know? I could see why maybe an unbeliever might want to know because then, you know, let's get all the credit cards, go to Vegas. Yeah, you could see why they might want to know. Let's get it over with. Eat, drink, and be merry because I'm dying on Wednesday. But even godly people often don't want to know. You know why I don't want to know? Because I don't trust my courage. I don't. If I know when I'm going to die, then I do not trust that I will be able to act in a courageous way and overcome my fear and be faithful to the end. Because I know what fear does to me. I know what fear does to humans. And I don't want to live in fear. And I think that might be an insurmountable obstacle to living courageously for the days that I have left on the earth. Because afraid people do stupid things. Don't they? Yes? I could point to precedent, but y'all would get tired of it because it's long and repetitive. When a godly man lives in fear, he destroys his legacy in the world. But Peter knew that it was coming, that it could be at any time. And he was committed to not allowing his legacy to be destroyed. He says, I will also be diligent. Same word. He said, I want you to be diligent twice. Diligent to do these things. He said, I'm going to be diligent that at any time after my departure, after I kick the bucket, you will be able to call these things to mind. You will be able to call these things to mind. The things that I'm reminding you of. The things that I'm always ready to remind you of. The very things that are the key to suffering righteously, faithfully, courageously, being certain of our vocation, moving forward towards the future without fear, without stumbling, and looking for the reward that Christ gives us for it. And in order to do that, to ensure his legacy, he was faithful to remind them of things they already knew and were firmly established in. With no novelty. No novelty. Zero. Repetition, extension, more repetition, faithfulness. And that was the key to ensuring that they would know the things and pass them on to others after he departed. Tremendous example. Knowing that it was soon. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We do thank you for your graciousness to us. We thank you for these things that Peter is reminding his audience and us. That we have everything that we need for life and godliness. We need nothing else. We simply need to supply them in the order that you've given us to do. Be faithful, and it will keep us from stumbling and bring us into your presence with a reward. And we thank you for that. We love you for it. We know that it is an element of your graciousness to us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We all stand as we dismiss. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus.